大家好啊 ，Welcome to the Way Into the Dragon Podcast, a show that takes an in-depth look at Hong Kong cinema from an Asian and Western cultural perspective. I'm Edwin, a Chinese American who grew up in the States, and I'm looking to re-explore my cultural heritage through the lens of films. On this journey, I'll be joined by my co-host Matthias, an Italian who is one of the most knowledgeable Hong Kong film enthusiasts I know. Buongiorno, I'm Matthias, an Italian globetrotter who has been living in China for the past 13 years. Together with Edwin, I will be discussing Hong Kong's films, both past and present. Digging through the archives and talking to industry veterans. In the process, we will uncover the stories and cultural context behind genre staples to forgotten classics. So whether you are new to Asian cinema or a seasoned film buff, we invite you to join us on a journey to discover what makes Hong Kong cinema so special. Okay, 你要先问过我才能留下。客官，我们这儿没房了，我看您呐，还是快走吧。So this trailer is from the 1967 wuxia classic *Dragon Inn* by legendary director King Hu. So we deliberately chose this excerpt because we feel it represents some of the common themes that we found in wuxia films, right? Yeah, you got that right, man.、Um, that was literally a 15 second summary of、uh, key wuxia film elements.、Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's that's a kind of a unique blend of martial arts and traditional philosophies about chivalry. That's how I would like、uh, summarize the wuxia subgenre in the martial arts film.、Mm-hmm. You know, the, the 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 plot is usually set in you know ancient China, and and most of the times it kind of involves an honorable swordsman who. Who overcomes like a great injustice, you know, to protect the weak and the innocent. And in that specific scene that we just heard, the main character was actually inside a deserted inn. Oh yeah, you know you're in for trouble、oh. when you're in an inn in a wuxia movie. Oh, okay, man, that that was a terrible was joke. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, terrible. That was terrible. You, you, yeah, now we know why you're not in freaking <laughs> you know stand-up comedy. I went okay, <laughs> but anyways, okay, yeah, but yeah. you know, <laughs> but indeed, you know. Uh, our hero here in that scene, he he was、uh, he was actually facing off against corrupt imperial guards in that inn, and you know we were trying to、right. catch and kill people、uh, that were falsely accused of、um, you know a crime under a conspiracy. And、um, the way our hero actually here avoided a murder attempt on himself in the inn was also pretty unique.、Um, mm-hmm. So actually, he got an arrow shot at him from a window. Okay,、um, now Edwin, you know what would you do if a dude shoots an arrow at you? I pretty much just get shot. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. That's the freaking lamest answer I ever got, Evan. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, yeah. So what 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 our hero did here in that scene was he dodged the arrow. Okay, he dodged it and simultaneously used the open top of a small metal wine jar. Okay, used a small metal wine jar to、mm-hmm. catch it. Yeah, and then he turned the jar around with the arrow partly inside it and pushed. The arrow through the jar towards his aggressor with incredible strength and speed. Okay, killing the opponent. Now that's a move that I'm talking about, Edwin. Oh、uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's why I need to watch these movies and learn some skills. Yeah, yeah.、Um, that's what you need to do, man. Yeah. Yeah. But in all seriousness, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, these cool、yeah. scenes can be found in a lot of wuxia movies, and we definitely recommend you check out the trailer for Dragon Inn to、mm-hmm. see this get played out on screen. But better、yeah. yet. To just check out the full movie, 
Oh yeah, absolutely. That this is a must watch. I mean, like many others, but uh, yeah, it's Dragon classic, is, yeah. Is a, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and then um, these kind of somehow supernatural skills uh, that we have been talking about, you know, they stem from the chi of these characters. You know, chi is a Chinese word mm-hmm. that basically um, refers to someone's internal energy, the vital life force. Yeah. Um, so that that gives these characters the ability to kind of you know jump onto buildings. Or, you know, engage in a sword fight while flying through the air, you know, glide over water and all kinds of other cool stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so Chi is, we can say somehow, I would say it's very reminiscent of the Force in the Star Wars movies. Um, if you want to look for a kind of Western equivalent. Yeah, it, it definitely, there are some uh, similarities to Western concepts as well. But yeah. also Wuxia lives in its own world. So Definitely. don't worry about it. There's actually a lot of these kind of concepts and interesting things who are going to be dissected in this episode. And mm-hmm. yeah. for this task, we had the help of JP, who is the founder of Wuxia World. And uh, Wuxia World is a fantasy fiction platform that gives host to English translations of Chinese and Korean Wuxia and fantasy online novels. It's one of the largest platforms of its kind. And JP and I actually met when we were studying college uh, many years back. So trust me, like he was already quite the wuxia expert even then. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. I can definitely believe that. He definitely knows his stuff. Yeah. But before we dive into the interview with JP, um, Mm -hmm. I'd like to bring up that wuxia films or wuxia concepts, they are kind of based on works by some very famous novelists. Okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. So like Louis Cha, for example, who's better known by his pen name Jin Yong. Yep. He's kind of known for a lot of classic novels, um, for example, like Smiley Proud Wanderer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another gentleman is uh, Xiong Yaohua, better known under his pen name Gu Long. And he's mm-hmm. also famous for lots of uh, novels, uh, such as uh, Little Lee Flying Dagger series. You know, but there's so many uh, other influential Wuxia novelists. You know, uh, it's just that in. That, that these two uh, in particular get mentioned a lot during um, our interview with uh, JP. So we, we recommend you guys to check out our show notes because there's, you know, there's so many other great writers. And um, so if you want to find out more, just check out our show notes. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the works by these two novelists in particular have been adapted into a lot of movies and TV series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For example, most recently this year, there was Sakura. It was mm-hmm. an adaptation of Demigods and Semi-Devils by Jing Yong. Yeah, it's a pretty good, cool movie. I watched it in a cinema uh, here in mm-hmm. China. It's uh, directed uh, by Donnie Yen and also starring him. Really, really cool movie. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and then there's also a new Kung Fu Cult Master, which was released last year. It was an adaptation of Heaven Sword and Dragon Saber, also by Jing Yong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, for Gulong, uh, most recently in 2016, there was San Xiaoyu de Jian, um, Sword Master. So yeah, the, their work always shows up in the silver screen quite often. Yeah, yeah, always gets adapted, yeah. But yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of these things. We're going to learn a little bit more about these novelists as well and a lot about wuxia. So this is, I think, a pretty good jumping point for people who are interested in wuxia and want to learn more about it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, let's uh, head straight into the interview. Yeah, let's do it, man. Welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome. Thank you so much, both of you. I'm really glad to be here. Always love to talk about Wuxia, man. Awesome, awesome, nice. awesome, awesome. Yeah, and this is definitely yeah. something that uh, 
we, we need help on, like, it's a very big topic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a topic you could spend an entire podcast series on, depending on how deep into the weeds you want to dive, right? There's, there's a lot to talk about Wuxia in general. Yeah, totally, totally. Definitely. So um, why don't we start with how your love for Wuxia began? I mean, for me, you know, I, I, I think Wuxia has played a outsized role in, in terms of impacting my personal life. So mm-hmm. I'm actually a generation 1.5, right? I was born in China, but I <laughs> came to America when I was like three. So I, I just tell people I'm generation 1.5. But um, early on, the place where I spent the most time was uh, Oklahoma. Oh, and okay. uh, as you can imagine, it was a small little uh, oil town called uh, Bartlesville, which is uh, sort of the headquarters <laughs> of Phillips 66, as it was called back then. And as you can imagine, there was not a lot of exposure to Asian, much less Chinese culture at all in Oklahoma. Um, this is mm-hmm. especially not in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, there's, there's not much Asian of anything there. So I grew up without a lot of access to just, you know, any sort of Asian culture. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. my family moved to California uh, in uh, high school that I had that chance to uh, be exposed to it. And it was just f- so funny because in my early years, you know, I could speak some, you know, kitchen Chinese, but not, it wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't read Chinese at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we got to California and I'm watching all of these old, uh, you know, TVB and Hong Kong series and whatnot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was funny because I, I fell in love. I was like, this is awesome, but there's a problem. It's all in Cantonese. I have no idea what the hell these people are saying. <laughs> right. And because my dumb ass couldn't read Chinese, I couldn't even read the subtitles to figure out what's going on. So it's like, right. this is awesome, but why are they fighting, you know? Yeah. So I grabbed my mother and I pulled, drag her over to like explain what was going on to me so she could read subtitles. She didn't speak right. Cantonese. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, the desire to better understand what was going on in these old uh, Kung Fu TV series. Yeah. Um, I think the first one was Shen Diao Xiaoli, Return of the Condor Heroes 1995 edition mm-hmm. uh, oh, with, uh, wow. with, with Louis, yeah. Louis um, get his name. But yeah, it was that one. That was my Louis Koo. Louis Koo. Thank you. Louis Thank you. That's yeah, right. Yeah, Louis yeah. Koo. <laughs> that was my first one. Um, I fell okay. in love with yeah. it. And it actually made me want to study Chinese so that I could know what the hell was going on because I want to keep watching yeah. more. And I want yeah. to read the books. Yeah, and I want to... So it became sort of the driving pass for me to really sort of reconnect with my own culture and, uh, uh, and my, uh, my own roots, both linguistic right. and cultural. And it was a major reason why I started, you know, taking Chinese as a minor in, in college afterward. The exposure to Wuxia in California was a truly transformative experience for me. It got me interested in Asian stuff and it was mm-hmm. my first exposure to Asian stuff. So, you know, it, it really, it was, it was quite something for me. It still is. Wow. 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 Yeah. It must've been really tough because, um, Wuxia is such a dense genre, I think, especially for Westerners. Because there's so much kind of pre-knowledge you need to know, and especially the language, yeah. as you mentioned, there's a lot of challenges. So for you, is it a learning process of learning the language and then the lingo or like the scene, the, the world, the mythology of Wuxia? Like, how was that for you? I mean, you know, again, when you're starting from a base of kitchen Chinese, uh, there is sort of a lot of ground <laughs> to cover. But I mean, before even getting to Wuxia, I just remember a very uh, sort of a... Uh, clear memory to me is when we came to California, I was watching CCTV news mm-hmm. um, and I was so c- confused because I could clearly tell these people 
were speaking Chinese, but I had no mm -hmm. idea what they were saying because the, the type of Chinese that they were using there yeah. is not something we use a lot in normal life as much. Right. And right. I, I think the yeah, same yeah, is yeah, yeah, true yeah. for literary Chinese as well. Um, you know, especially yeah. if we're looking at the uh, these old genial novels that were written decades ago. Right. Uh, especially when they get deep into the you know the historical aspects and things like that. Right. It, it exactly. takes a tremendous yeah. amount of knowledge. I think it's a lot easier now because of the fact that we do have things like, you know, Wikipedia or Byte right. by Co or all these other things. But yeah, 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 yeah. in the early 90s, when the Internet was just getting going, there was not nearly <laughs> yeah. as many resources. Uh, I, I remember, you know, when when Jingle starts getting this groove with like Buddhist po poetry and all yeah. that stuff, it's like, oh, yeah. my God. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, I just remember those later. Later on, this was after my Chinese had improved. I'm running in terms like you know, Shi Zun Si Jia Mu Li. I'm like, what is he talking about? Right, then, right, right. After half an hour of research, just like literally half an hour or an hour of research, I'm like, oh, Stacky Muni, he's talking about the Buddha. Why can't you say Buddha? Damn it! Why are you? Why are yeah, you yeah, 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 like yeah. the world yeah. honors Shakti Muni? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's never my life. But no, it's the more you get into it, the more you get out of it. But Starting off, there it is. It can be dense. It can be dense. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah depending yeah. on authors, some authors more than others. Jing Yong, in a lot of his novels, is particularly dense yeah. because of how much actual history and philosophy he intertwines into it. But I think that's also one of the reasons why he's like the godfather, you know, right. of of all yeah. modern wuxia Absolutely. fiction. Absolutely, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for you, was it more of the novels or the from new movies? Did you watch a lot of movies, or was the novels that really hooked you? The movies hooked me. But then, like, you go, look, we're social beings, right? You read stuff or you watch stuff, get excited about it. You Maybe you want to go online and talk to you about it. And then you got you get into debates about who would win, like, you know, mm. like in the fight between <laughs> this guy and that guy. And then eventually, you know, the only way you sell an argument is you point to the books. Because in every no. different iteration of a TV series or movie, there's always differences, right? So if you ever want to settle those discussions, you go to the book. And I couldn't do that. So that's when I started going deeper and deeper into the books. I see, I see, I see. Interesting. No, the movies series are definitely the gateway drug. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's also kind of you know where we're coming from. We want to want to share like those gateway drugs for a lot of our audience. Yeah. So, what are some of your favorite Wuxia films? Yeah. Like, any recommendations that kind of help hooked you? I, I watched more series than I did, uh, you know, movies. Okay. Um, and, and you know, most of those are just. I mean, Jin, Jin Yo and Gulong stuff have been remade on Nazium, right? So mm -hmm. we, we yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. skip the 30 adaptations of, of his stuff. But amongst the movies, you know, some of the more modern stuff. And by more modern, I mean, like, after I was born, because this stuff has been around for decades. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I exactly. think yes. Hero from Zhang Yimou was a, was a tremendous sort of a wuxia style movie that had a lot of politics and other stuff in there as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kung Fu Hustle was was just an awesome, you know, blend of uh, wuxia, yeah. sort of the wuxia journey, but basically bound in a very tight comedic sketch. Uh, it was great. Um, and you know, if, if you go into deeper into stuff, I mean, would you count stuff like uh, you know, like Da Hua Xiu from from uh, a Chinese was it, was it called a Chinese Odyssey um, from 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 Stephen Cho? Yeah. Uh, yeah, although that falls no, okay, yeah, the, the yeah, 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 I mean, all that stuff. Um, and you know, there, there's, there's just so much that it's, it's really sort of hard to uh, just go into that. But yeah, I, I watched a lot. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I wanted to bring up a point that a lot of the wuxia films out there are actually based 
off of novels. Yeah. And JP, you mentioned Jing Yong, Louis Cha, who is one of those famous novelists that were involved with that, along with people like Gu Long or Liang Yusheng. You know, these people basically laid the groundwork for a lot of these adaptations. So, um, and they, I guess they defined the characteristics of Wuxia. So we kind of want to go into, cause I think for some of our listeners, they, it might be a challenge yeah, to just kind new of, to it. yeah, if they're new to it, to kind of get into it. Yeah. To actually define Wuxia. Yeah. yeah. Dissect like Wuxia. What, what, what is the elements that kind of define Wuxia? Yeah. So first thing I would say before getting deep into that is how expansive do we want to consider the Wuxia envelope to be? Do we want to consider stuff like uh, Xianxia or reincarnation stuff, you know, to be a subset of Wuxia or is it a separate thing? Because there's a, there's a lot of debate even amongst aficionados of, 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 yeah. of the genre about what is considered Wuxia and what's not. Yeah, I think we want to go probably much more in the classical term. So that is like something like Sanxia Ye Jian, like Xianxia, I think uh, the way we look at it would be stuff like a Chinese ghost story, like where you have a lot of like, you know, those superpowers where people like have, you know, all these light balls coming out of their hands and whatever, right? So this is what we will be looking at as Xianxia or Zoo Warriors, right? Uh, Shushan, these are more like Xianxia, we consider it, but of course, like this is also where we want to hear your your opinion on it, right? Mm -hmm. how, how you kind of classify right. them. Yeah, you know? so I mean, so to, to get back to your original question, because I don't, I don't want to skip over it. I mean, Wuxia, yeah. uh, obviously let's look at the term, you know, Wu means martial and Xia means hero. So mm -hmm. exactly. the, yeah. and the martial here that means just you know, martial arts, uh, kung fu, if you will, and the underlying essence of a good or a classical wuxia story is somebody who goes around in a somewhat lawless world and you know uses his martial arts skills, you know, for for the for the cause of righteousness, right? Um, I, I think you know the lawless part is why some people uh, have compared it to, you know, Westerns, because they exist in a place where, you know, the, the, the central government authority doesn't really have much sway. Uh, and the going around helping people out is why I've heard it's also be translated as knight errants, because, you know, the the Western concept of, you know, yeah, the knight in yeah, shining yeah, armor, yeah. right? So yeah. it's like a knight in yeah. shining armor in a Western is sort of how you okay. can sort of view that. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Probably with, 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 yeah, more, with, with more delineated power levels uh, in general. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that's, yeah. that's how I sort of look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That, yeah. That's pretty good. I, I actually, you know, I, I saw actually like last week on a, on a like a language learning website called hackingchinese.com. And they were comparing Wuxia heroes to comic book superheroes. Right. So as you mentioned, Wuxia heroes symbolize righteousness. Right. But so do comic book superheroes. And then, so they were saying like how the, the Chinese translations of Batman or Spider-Man hint to these similarities. So for example, Bian Fu Xia is Batman in Chinese. Bian Fu means bat, and then Xia is the same Chinese character as in the word Wu Xia, right? So it refers indeed to standing up for what's right. And that happens with the translation of Spider-Man as well, which is Zhu uh, Zhu Xia. So Zhu Zhu is spider, and again, the same case for the Xia character. So actually, I never looked at comic book heroes from that angle, but there's surely, you know, a lot of truth in that explanation. And then they were also somehow saying that um, the comparison between medieval European knights, uh, which many people often like to make, you know, between European knights and uh, Wuxia heroes, is, is not really that accurate because knights were usually coming from nobility, right? And then 
most wuxia characters are actually often commoners or, or, or drifters, right? I mean, for me as a movie fan, I would say that the the most similar genre in the West, um, in terms of like where you find like a lot of similarities to wuxia, is is for me I think the Western slash cowboy movies, you know, because um, you you have instead of the swordsman, you have the gunslingers. Instead of Jianghu, you have the Wild West, right? And then maybe instead of the um, of the inn, you would have uh, you know the saloon where then you know the the opponents would like face off verbally before they take it outside, right? So there's a lot of similarities in that, and then there's a lot of focus as well on the on the landscape, you know, on uh, on these wild prairies. Uh, whereas in the wuxia, you know, you have like uh, you know these beautiful mountains and rivers, uh, you know, with little temples and stuff, you know. But surely there's a lot of similarity there, yeah. Yeah, that that's pretty interesting. I think another interesting point is JP you mentioned kind of kung fu martial art being a, the first word in wuxia, and for a lot of people that get into Hong Kong cinema or Chinese cinema, they oftentimes they think of martial arts movies. Sure. But do you think yeah. like a thought that we had was how would a scenario play out from a martial arts movie and a wuxia movie? <laughs> because one thing I think of yeah. is um. Like, let's look at, say, like Bruce Lee in Way of the Dragon. That's a, definitely a martial arts movie. And it's quite straightforward because basically he's coming in and then he sees like injustice and he helps take revenge for these people that are served injustice, right? But then you look at Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and then you look at Chow Yun-Fat's character, Li Mu Bai. He comes in and he says, I want to retire and please bring <laughs> this sword to yeah. this town mayor or kind of character. Then you have you know, Zhang Ziyi's character who steals the sword. And then when Chow Yun-Fat yeah. faces her, it's not that clear cut what sort of relationship or how he sees like, you know, because normally if it's martial arts, like I'm just going to take my sword back, you know, but for him, it seems like <laughs> he sees something in Zhang Ziyi's character and wants to take her as a disciple. You know, do you kind of agree with that? That it's kind of different the way that the things are set up. Yes, I think there is. I, I think in a lot of what we consider to be classical wuxia, one of the uh, most important concepts is that of the so-called jianghu, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the lawless land under which people operate outside the long arm of the law, which, you know, we touched on earlier. Um, and, you know, obviously in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, there is very much, you know, that jianghu uh, literally transfer, transfers into the, you know, the rivers and the lakes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but there's not really as much of that concept in Bruce Lee stuff. Uh, it's it's in, set in a sort of a much more well, not not everything. I mean, Bruce Lee's film, yeah. filmography is, of course, you know, it's huge. But a lot of his mo most famous stuff is actually not necessarily set in that particular type of world. So, in that sense, if if you're going by a very strict definition of uh, wuxia, maybe it doesn't. It's it's martial arts movie, but not wuxia. It, Again, it goes back into sort of how much of a classic slash purist, how how, how much you want to shrink that uh, particular umbrella, that genre. For me, I think something that's really important to touch upon is I, I view things from a slightly different perspective. Mm -hmm. One of the core tenets of most uh, wuxia, I think, is these martial arts are very strongly rooted in either Buddhism or Taoism, right? Buddhist mm -hmm. and Taoist philosophies yes. play a critical role in a lot of these things. So as we look at sort of this entire spectrum of what we consider to be wuxia, 
you can start from the truly historical stuff. Like we really did have Shaolin monks. Shaolin monks really did practice martial arts and kung fu, and that's why you know we have sayings yes. like oh, all martial arts in the world come from Shaolin, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that eventually uh, it became sort of intermingled with Taoist breathing expert. Uh, exercises and you know the quest for immortality and all that stuff so it's a mishmash of traditional chinese not not a philosophical religion but sort of the the fantastical religion uh and those elements and so how far up do you want to scale it so Br bruce lee stuff is you know uh is that i think the lower end where it's it's pretty much just human stuff there's no, almost no of the supernatural elements Right, Jin Yo and Gulong stuff, and people flying around, you know, walking on <laughs> yeah. air, walking on water. Yeah. yeah. So we're getting a bit farther along, and mm -hmm. then you know, Xianxia is just it racks up to ten. You know, it just goes all the way like, you know, yeah, okay, yeah. exactly. You're not just able to fly; you're able to like go into like ascend to another realm and stuff like that. Right. Right. Um, exactly. but, the, but the underpinning is still remains usually in Taoist or Buddhist uh, sort of uh, fantastical, the religious elements of it. So. I personally am a proponent of big umbrella wuxia because you guys were talking about Marvel earlier, right? Or Marvel or DC yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that's a good example. You can have an alien like Superman exist in the same universe as a pure human and like Batman. And the tone of a Batman mo movie is very different from a tone of a Superman movie. Right. But no one is going to argue that, oh, yeah. he's only one is a superhero comic. The other is is a kind of hero comic, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, right. so I'm a big proponent of that. Um, likewise, you know, I, I think even in actual comics, if we look at the history of comics from golden age to now, you know, you see power creep, yeah. right? You see people, yeah. you starts off with stuff that's mostly of Earth, then, then it's a universal, then it's like multiversal, timeline, right. because you always want to one-up yourself. And I think we sort of see yeah. the same in Wuxia. Exactly. <laughs> you start with normal yeah. people, then you start with flying people, and then you start with like people flying on swords, it, it's just an entire sliding scale of things, but to me, it's all wuxia. That, yeah. That's sort of how I view it. Oh, that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. to me as well. I totally agree with you, actually. And uh, coming actually uh, from, from a fan angle, as of someone that really grew up, you know, watching all kinds of martial arts and action films, like the first time when I saw uh, wuxia films, right, and I kind of compared them with, with all the other martial arts movies I saw, right, I was like, Okay, there's a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat and kicking going on in all the other ones, right? And then I, in the in the wuxia movies, like you said, right, people are flying, people are like walking, you know, on water and stuff, right? And I was like, you know, at one point it was kind of funny because I was like saying, okay, come on, these guys are often running away from the fight because they're like flying away and stuff, right? And that was kind of the contrast to the other martial arts movies. But then what I was really fascinated about was exactly mm -hmm. what you mentioned, like the the, the philosophical aspect, the right. fact that they had these kind of very high moral values, right? And, you know, I think that that's a very uh, crucial part of many wuxia novels and then also the, the, the film adaptations where you, where you see these, these people, these characters with these very high ethical values, right? And yeah. um, that, that translates that perfectly, I think, into anything else that you see in cinema. I mean, even look at movies like Training Day, right? That movie, I'm not saying it's a wuxia, but, you know, but, but that movie is basically also about moral, about ethic, about... Life is life is all about choice. Like what happens to these wuxia heroes, right? What do you do yeah. when you have power? Do you stand up for what's right, or will you be corrupted by easy money, right? And that's that's a very similar kind of angle that you take in many wuxia movies, right? Yeah, it seems like wuxia is much more gray. It's not so black and white. Exactly. Right. Yes. Exactly. 
And that's like a really interesting kind of aspect of it. Um, yeah. And also that kind of goes into, like you said, there's that, you know, because it comes from history and a lot of mythology. Like I, I feel like when I watch like a wuxia movie, kind of there's these, these concepts that you need to understand. Like for example, the different clans, because within yeah. the Jianghu, there's like so many clans, you know, there's like the, the beggars clan, yeah, yeah. you have the Wudang, you know, and, and, and it just gets yeah, really confusing yeah. Oh, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like for, for that stuff, you know, how, how do people kind of understand or do they have to go and read the novels or, you know, like just what is the context that you think is like most important that, you know, that's the bare minimum you need to know to kind of just enjoy, say, a Wuxia based film. I don't know if there's any sort of bare minimum. Um, it's it's it's, it's a <laughs> film about people with superhuman powers and right. kicking kicking yeah. kicking butt. You know, true. true. Uh, the, the more yeah. you understand, of course, the more you're going to get out of it. But uh, in the right. end, yeah. you, you you know, it's it, there's no such thing as a bad kung fu flick. You know, unless the movie is right, itself is a really bad movie. But that's you know, true. It's, that, yeah. that's so yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't think you need that much historical knowledge. Um, I just think you know, as most things. The deeper you get into it, the deeper you'll get stuff out of it. True, right, right, true. Right, I mean, right, I have right. my I have my difficulties. For, I, I was selling at when the other day. I mean, like um, when I was when I was watching, like uh, for example, the Sentimental Swordsman or the Magic Blade, like with Dilong, these kind of movies. I mean, they they were rather straightforward. I mean, the storyline was easy to understand. Like you had these, uh, you know, lonely swordsmen, like who were you know roaming the Xianghu, right, and they had to complete their mission and then there were just a few other characters and that was it but then when you watch like the brave archer which have four movies basically like there's a trilogy mm -hmm. and then there's an additional spin-off uh that is based on the legend of condor heroes there's so much inside that movie that you struggle to keep up with right i mean i, I you know i'm a foreigner i do speak chinese now and not even at a very high level but when i was like back in you know uni or high school watching these kind of movies where all of a sudden you had like that clan and then this clan and then they have flashbacks mm -hmm. and say, okay, this guy was the student of that guy. And then they start to have all these Chinese names. It's difficult to keep up. I mean, you, you kind of get lost in this whole like, uh, uh, yeah, maze of, of characters, you know? I, I think part of that is just the inherent difficulty of taking or trying to take a very long series with very dense plots. Um, mm -hmm. Exactly. And cram it into even three or four movies. It's it's <laughs> yeah. very difficult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, exactly. and that's why I think you know historically the 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 TV series have been more well received than the movies. Because yeah. There's just exactly. There's just so much material in the source um, that if you try to put it into a movie, the only way you can really make it work is almost like to use the source material as inspiration and sort of to make a new story <laughs> out of it. You know, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's what some of the really good Wuxia movies have done. Yeah, that's why maybe like movies like what JP mentioned, like Hero, that's an original story. Maybe yeah. that's why it kind of works better, like in a movie yes. format. Yes, for sure. Like some other ones are like Reign of Assassins, right? Matthias oh, yeah. mentioned that one was yeah, like that, a really that, good that was one. a pretty good one from the. I mean, as as you know, I'm a really big fan of the old stuff, but that, that this is like a post two thousand movie produced by John Wu. Uh, with Michelle Yeoh, and that one again had a very clear-cut storyline. There is this uh, woman played by Michelle Yeoh, who's like being, you know, she's an assassin, part of an assassin's clan, and then she just wants to get out of the business, and then she's changing her face. She has like an operation, changes her face, and then she's still being chased by all her former teammates, right? And um, the storyline is pretty clear-cut. It's not difficult to follow, but yeah. it still has that, you know, 
that kind of magical setting in the ancient times. There's a lot of really cool sword fight choreography. Um, so again, this is something that appeals to audiences, I think, in a you know much more clear cut way. And and that's where you know JP's point comes back in. Like when they say, I mean, if if you want to cram yeah. all this, you know, the, all the stuff from the book or the novel inside a ninety minute movie, it's not going to work because you make it too complicated. The audience is not going to follow the, the story anymore, and it's going to become a mess, right? So that that's the thing. Yeah, but also kind of going back to that point of you know, if, if it's a kick ass movie, then it's a kick ass movie. You don't, you know, it's just. Depends on how much you take from it. You know, if you watch, you know, say Lord of the Rings, like Lord of the Rings, there's a lot of stuff like within Lord of the Rings that, you know, there's <laughs> trolls, there's hobbits and there's dragons. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to, to kind of understand, but then if you just see it as a story, it, you know, it's, well, maybe not Lord of the Rings, but at least the Hobbit is right. The Hobbit, even though there's a lot of elements, it's very easy exactly. to sort of follow and there yeah. is a nice story there. So it's kind of maybe approaching it and from that exactly. sort of a perspective. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I've noticed on Wuxia World, um, and this is kind of a tangent, but surprisingly, I would say Xianxia novels or, you know, more fantastical novels actually have had a higher degree of acceptance from uh, readers than classic Wuxia. And huh. I think part of this actually, this is, just, this is theory. I haven't done any, you know, scientific treatises on this, but right. I think it's because the authors of these novels, especially the more fantastical novels, they recognize that there is a need to sort of inform the audience about how the systems in yeah. their novel work, right? Okay. So, okay. so they will they don't take sort of a sort of the readers for granted as much as I think wuxia uh, novels do to a degree because the the wuxia stuff has been around for decades. Everyone knows, you know, how how that stuff works. Yeah. Um, and that sort of goes to what you were you guys were talking about, you know, sort of prepare. To what extent do you need to prepare the ground for people to understand? Um, yeah. And, you know, I, and I think that's, that's a really valid question. Um, and uh, it's, it's not one that I have a clear answer to. But I think in the end, you know, as long as if people are flying around <laughs> kicking ass with swords, oh, yeah. the, the user might not yeah, understand yeah, yeah, yeah. it, but he's still going to enjoy yeah, well. it. You know, oh, yeah. the, the, yeah. the viewer is going to enjoy yeah. the shit out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and if he enjoyed the shit out of it, then eventually he's going to want to say, you know, why... How are those people flying? And maybe he'll do research on his own. Maybe there could be like a 30 second Absolutely. exposition in the movie, whatever, you know, but I think it's yeah. not necessarily yeah, critical yeah, flaw. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. totally agree with you because it. I come from a real hardcore fan, martial arts film fan perspective, right? And the first wuxia films that I saw, I was particularly attracted by the aesthetics and the storytelling part. But the aesthetics, I mean, in, in the fight choreography was really amazing. I mean, if I look at movies like The Sword from 1980, that's a Golden Harvest movie. Uh, as far as I remember, it's not based on a, it's not based on a novel. Um, so also very clear cut story, like a guy wants to, you know, uh, challenge like a famous master mm -hmm. and he, and, and this famous master has a sword and another guy tries to get that sword and then at the end they battle for it, right? It's a very simple story, but the aesthetics of that film still up to now kind of mesmerized me. I mean, the choreography was done by Ching Xiu Tung, right? It's like a Cheng Xiao Tung, right? It's a very, very famous, uh, director and action choreographer. And I, I was captivated by, by that movie so much because, I was used, um, you know, I, I watched a lot of other genres before that, like uh, spaghetti westerns, right? So the man with no name, all those Sergio Leone classics, which then also influenced Hong Kong cinema, obviously. But to me, when I watched The Sword, I was like, wow, there's a lot of similarity in the storyline between these uh, spaghetti westerns slash US kind of westerns. Um, but then mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. they would use guns, right? You have the gunslingers, the gunfighters, right? But then seeing those guys flying through the air and, and, you know, using their swords in the way they did, kicking ass and stuff, like, 
I was like, wow, this is like a, a spaghetti western on Red Bull, man. Like, this is freaking <laughs> awesome, right? Like he said, I mean, you just captivate the audience with the beauty of it that, you know, everybody understands that you don't need to understand the novels, right? From that perspective. Yeah. And that kind of also brings up a pretty interesting point is that, you know, when these novels were in, like there wasn't the internet, right? So basically, I think when Lewis Chow was writing these books, he was facing like a Chinese audience. So some of these things, like when you even when you're studying Chinese history, you kind of understand, you know, there's parallels between history and, and what he's talking about. So you already have a sort of understanding. But with the internet, and with a lot of you know, wuxia crossing the border mm -hmm. into the Western world, then you're facing like these things. And, and like JP mentioned, but Xianxia is more yeah. easy to yeah. understand because, you know, it's written yeah. with that in mind. And I think that probably is part of your experience with wuxia world too, because you are trans through wuxia world, you're translating a lot of yeah. Chinese novels into English and kind of creating a new audience sort of, right? Which is to me, is quite interesting. Yeah, one of the things you know you you mentioned just now before I, before I get into the sort of what we're doing is um Louis Cha, right? I think yeah. it's also it's it's a very interesting point to, to, for us to remember. He did not write novels per se, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he wrote Newspapers. serialized yeah, fiction exactly. in the Ming yeah. newspaper. Yeah, yes, it was it was serialized fiction. And the reason why I think that's it's really relevant is if we look at the state of most wuxia or shencha, most popular fiction right now that's in China and. Um, and I think maybe Taiwan, although don't quote me on that one, but where do we see it? We see it on online serialized yeah. fiction platforms where the authors are writing, you know, two to three chapters a day of around uh, six to 9,000 Chinese characters, um, you know, which is <laughs> massive. And that's, that's exactly. an entirely separate discussion. But right. so it's, it's interesting to me that even yeah. with the advent of the internet, we sort of see, have seen things go sort of back to exactly where they were you know, decades ago, where wuxia is once more being consumed in a serial fiction, yes, that's sort of exactly. fiction format. And that, right. that, that's actually, I think, is quite interesting to me. It's, it's quite interesting. History to me. repeats itself, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so that was just one quick point I, I really wanted to make. But so what, what wuxia world has been doing really is we start off, you know, a lot of uh, our people uh, start off as fans and readers. And mm -hmm. uh, the earliest translators, we were translating wuxia fiction um, from famous people like Jin Yong, Gu Long, yeah. Liang Yushen, you know, Huang Yi, all these people. And at some point after we were done with the classics, we we're like, well, what else is available? Right. Well, there's all this really popular online serialized fiction, you know, pull it back. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be really classic wuxia. There's a lot of magic-y stuff. We, we were a little. We were, at, at first we were kind of bougie about it, like, oh, I don't know. That's is that real <laughs> wuxia? We were there first. I'm gonna be a but then, right, right. You know, as we get to it, like, oh, these are pretty good stories. Let's, right. You know what? Screw it. I don't care if it's not really wuxia. If it gets way deep into the sort of magic-y side of it, the chi side of it, let's just let's just have fun with it. And that's sort of how wuxia world developed. I think. Um, yeah, it, it was just. Yeah. Started as fan translators. Um, I was the very first translator for the site that mm -hmm. sort of graduated from classical wuxia novels to the more xianxia novels and then yeah. beyond. Um, and we, we we ended up seeing, like I mentioned earlier, uh, surprisingly high levels of interest from readers um, on completely different orders of magnitude uh, compared to the classical wuxia that we've done in the past. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's really interesting because what are some of the web novels 
that gained a lot of traction for you know westerners or people chinese you know chinese community that then turned into movies what are some of those because maybe those are the sweet spots you know that you don't really need yeah. to understand so much and you know you're just gonna get hooked you know yeah so right now for for the serialized uh, online fiction i think the chinese market has gone in a different direction okay um, I, I think they've really focused on the serialized nature of it and so instead of going onto the movie side they've gone very heavy into the tv series adaptation side and also into the animation side right. oh, um, yeah. okay, okay, so okay. you know like one famous novel we have on our site is called uh battling through the heavens and uh, you know it's it's a it both has a kind of mediocre TV series, but also an enormously popular uh, animation. Okay. Um, wow. Wow. is another one. You know, that, that was sort of the first super premium 3D quality. I don't, I don't know if you guys followed sort of the Chinese 3D animation series uh, uh, industry in the past few years? Yeah, not so much, yeah. I, oh, I got to yeah, send you guys the TV series. Later. There's some incredible work being done right now. Um, so what, what's what's happened is... Because there are such these novels are so massively popular that there are literally yeah. tens, maybe even upwards of a hundred million readers for some of these super wow. not wow, not necessarily all paying readers. Piracy is a huge problem. But there's so many people who are aware of and fans of this IP, whether they're paid fans or not, yeah. that just like in the, in the United States and Hollywood. The producers and directors, they feel much very comfortable making adaptations and animations that are quite expensive mm -hmm. based on these stories because they know they have an inbuilt audience of tens of millions for each of these super popular novels. Right. So, so, that, so that's the direction that they've gone in it. Um, and I think they've also recognized quite wisely that to try and make a movie out of a novel that, uh, for one example, one, the, one of the shorter novels that I translated, yeah was 3 million Chinese characters. How <laughs> are you going to make a movie out of that? You cannot. Right? You can't. Right, right, it's right. 3 million characters, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. So they very wisely recognize that there's not even a chance of cramming. Like, genuine yeah. stuff, like half a million, one million, that's already huge. Yeah. We're talking multiples of that. So they, 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 they've given up even attempting <laughs> to make movies. And right. it skips straight to TV series and, yeah. and animation with tremendous levels of success. So if you look yeah. at, uh, are you guys familiar with the platform Aichi? Uh, of course, for, yeah, for yeah, yeah, China, yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. Definitely. If, if you look at the male, sort of the male-oriented uh, dramas, so much of that has, uh, the, for the wuxia stuff, it's actually coming from the uh, from, from these serialized web novels. I would say that's like the single biggest generator of IPs in uh -huh. China today. It's serialized okay. uh, internet fiction. Um, we focus exclusively on the sort of fantasy, wuxia, xianxia type stuff. We don't get into the uh, urban fiction or, you know, other stuff like that as much. It's just not our audience. But, yeah. you know, it, this is just a huge driver of IPs because you have tens of millions of other built-in yeah, yeah, audience, yeah, yeah. you know? Wow. Right. I wonder, like, that's why kind of when you talk about the movies, like some new ones are like New Kung Fu, Cult Master, which came out last year, which is, yeah. you know, a redone yeah. of Eating Tolong Gay. And then, yeah, um, or, you know, like, yeah. Bapo, the new one, you know, this is because those movies, they already have like that kind of established audience. They're not really looking for a new audience. It's more of, you know, people who've watched the old ones or read the novels. They just want to see a new interpretation of it. Whereas maybe it's very hard to kind of develop new IPs for 
for film because of the nature of it, right? But I don't know why they don't create more, you know, self-contained stories. I mean, I, I think they do um, mm -hmm. to, to a certain extent, but th this is sort of my understanding. Um, I think like a lot of film producers, they tend to be conservative and focus on what's done well. And okay. so like you guys have mentioned, genial series are remade every two to three years, right? Yeah. For yeah. the past three decades, there's like eight or nine just in mainland China for the past few decades. Yeah. And the reason they do that is because they know each time people are going to watch it again because that's how much people love these series. So yeah. it's a sheer thing. It's it's easy money, right? It's a safe bet. Um, but, you know, movies are, uh, one, they're expensive as hell to make. Big um, investment, yes. It's a huge investment, and it's not as safe a thing. Um, and I think they also, you know, they're quite wisely recognized that if they make an adaptation of, that's based on, you know, a completely new thing, they don't have that built-in audience, so they're taking a bigger risk. So what then they've done right. in a lot of these cases is they've relied very heavily on the star power of certain actors to yes, sort of guarantee them yeah. traffic. Um, and, you know, and that, that that's sort of the entire, at least a separate topic there. But, yeah, so I, I think these are some of the reasons why we've seen Wuxia can even be pushed much more heavily in uh, the sort of TV serials than in movies per se. Uh, in mainland China these days, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes a lot on these platform models as well, like ITE, Tencent Video and stuff, right? Millions of subscribers, right? right? So it works. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. And then most of the ones that I remember out of these more modern, like, uh, Wuxia films are, in fact, most of the times remakes. I mean, look at the Swordmaster mm -hmm. with Derek Yi, right? That's that's a former Shaw Brothers actor, right? And he actually, uh, the Swordmaster is a remake of Sancho Ye De Jian again, like Death Duel. He was the main actor in that, and then he remade it, um, I think, like six or seven years ago, like in 2016 or something, I think. And uh, and then you had, like, uh, even the more recent one, Sakura, right, which is Demigods and Semi-Devils with Donnie Yen, where he was also director. Mm -hmm. That's also a remake again. So, I mean, and it goes in line, again, with the super popular TV series, right? Same, same novel. One is a, a cinema production. The other one is a TV series. So you see, again, it's all connected, right? Yeah. It's always, like, remakes, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, then, I mean, like, if oh, we look ahead. at Sakura, though, sorry to just interject, yeah. it's, it, it's, it makes no bones about what it's meant to be. It's the name in Chinese, literally, exactly. it just focuses on one important, but still just one subplot within that series. Exactly. And that's all they do. Right. They don't try to cram that entire right, series right, into right. it because they know they can't. You know? But that's also a part of Gulong too. I think like Gulong is kind of good at that. Like actually, for my personal experiences, I was born in the states, yeah. and then uh, my family moved to Hong Kong was like around ten. And at that time, I was not really connected with Chinese, you know, culture and all this wuxia stuff. All I did was kind of when my parents watched the Swordsman trilogy, so I I kind of remember yeah. watching that it was kind of cool. Um, but then when I went to Hong Kong, I went to a local school, and I at that time I was a fan of Marvel and DC comic books. But then a lot of my classmates, they would read a lot of wuxia novels. Mm -hmm. and it was very trendy at that time. So I kind of got into that through that kind of uh, initiation, you would say. But uh, for me, it was actually really hard reading Louis Cha. So for yeah. me, actually, I got into yeah. Gulong a lot easier. Yeah, I think it's it's very important to remember that uh, you know they have very different writing styles. Again, uh, Jin Yong Louis Cha was very much focused on the philosophy, the history yeah. Like, you know, Condor Heroes, it's set in the, you know, the invasion of the Mongols, um, you know, things like that. And then he, for God's sake, he he goes into, you know, each of uh, 
Genghis Khan's was like four major generals. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the recruiting <laughs> of of Jebbia, you know, like these are yeah. these, these are names that a lot of people, even in China, would not even know about if it's not right. exactly. for yeah. Louis Shaw's novels. So he's making a conscious uh, effort to sort of educate uh, as he's telling these stories. Right. Whereas I think Gulong was inspired a lot more by sort of a Western writing style, especially like Western mystery stories. Yeah. Yes. If you look at the way his stories are built out, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's really good at that, yeah. He's he's really, really good at it. And yeah. it's yeah. much more tightly focused narratives. Um, usually, it's usually a guy who's trying to figure out something that's going on. There's a, a lot more yes. of a sort of a sort of Like a mystery yeah. or something. Yeah, 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 yeah It's yeah. a mystery, mystery exactly. suspense, which is sort of yeah. how I would classify his stuff. But Gino, it's historical. Yeah, absolutely. Historical That's right. I agree with you. I mean, you know? for me as a fan, yeah. uh, I have to say, from the from a movie perspective, all the ones that I remember well and that I liked the most from the Shaw Brothers, especially, were the Gulong inspired one. Right. I mean, as I said, the Brave Archer. Yeah, I watched it a couple of times, but still not really clear about the whole thing because it was so you know densely you know they tried to fit so much stuff in there. But then if you look at the Gulong films, there were so many good ones. I mean, uh, yeah, you had the Sentimental Sourceman with Dilong. Right then, you had mm -hmm. like uh, what was it, the Magic Blade? You had Killer Clans, uh, Legend of the Bat, and many of them were interesting. Mm -hmm. Like like JP and you, as as I said, Edwin, like they were good crossovers uh, that that blended like a lot of the European style, you know, thriller mystery stuff. Um, like uh, you know, films like The Black Lizard or Bat Without Wings. You even had horror in there. You had some slasher elements, like in Human Lanterns. Like uh, what's that called? Um, like where, where the guy basically uses human skin to make to make yeah. lanterns out of them. Like I mean, it, it, it was really it was really engaging, basically, and much more direct. And he was really good, I think, at, at characterization. I mean, mm -hmm. er, every one of his characters was really clear cut, right? Like Fu uh, Hongshui, yeah. like even the name itself, right? Hongshui, like a Red Snow, right? Because it was related to his father's death. Right, that that was yeah. killed during a cold winter night. Right, yeah, uh, it's it's so straightforward and, and yet so 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 enticing. Right. Oh yeah, he has really good names for characters. Like I remember Lu Xiaofeng and like yeah. Xiemen Chui Xue Xue. Okay. Yeah. So that that was one of the funniest translations I ever seen. It was it was a, a TV B um, translation, I think. Yeah. Or Xiemen Chui Xue, and the name in Chinese is badass, right? But it's so uh, badass. It's so badass. But in one particular TV series, I saw yeah. the name translated, and I kid yeah. you not, okay. Simon the Snowblower. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's such a right. torturing of it. Simon the yeah. Snowblower. Oh, I mean, I'm oh. torturing. Oh, okay. oh my That's god, god. Oh, god. Yeah, like, oh. Google's just crying, man. He's, he's just, crying. Like, he's crying and drinking. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> wow. Drowning his oh, wow. sorrows away. But yeah, no, he's he's oh, sort of tremendous with atmosphere. Gulong yeah. is the is a master of atmosphere in his novels. Um and, yes, and I think absolutely. with a good filmmaker, you can really incorporate that into you know movies. Um, which is why yeah. I think his 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 yeah. Adaptations I probably have done a bit better on the silver screen than genial stuff because genial stuff is so tightly connected to historical mm. context that's not easy to reflect yeah. in these movies, you know. Totally. Um, so yeah, one is I think just better for print, and the other is is just going to be a bit more suited uh, to to the silver screen. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Like the point I wanted to kind of bring up was looking back at some of the 60s, because we, we have this discussion right now on why there's not a whole lot of Wuxia um, movies is because there's difficulty in condensing these epics um, into a period, like an hour, two hour, three hour kind of period of time, right? So there's that. And also it's, it's business. There's a risk, like there's a big investment in it. And yeah. <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of concerns about that. But, you know, I want to look back at the 60s where, you know, Shaw Brothers, they're obviously famous for a lot of wuxia films. And it seems like during that period, you know, I wonder why, you know, there was like so much, I think so much of Shaw Brothers, the wuxia films kind of defined, you know, a lot of the imagery, the scenery. And King Hu, obviously, I think Matisse, maybe you can mention a little bit about King Hu and, you know, because it just really defines like yeah. that look of Wuxia, right? Crouching Tiger definitely, like uh, Ang Lee's movie, is so much of an homage yeah. or, or takes inspiration from King Hu, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that was my first touch point as a fan. I mean, uh, Dragon Inn and A Touch of Zen were actually two of the first like Wuxia films that I saw, and and they're actually very different, I think, from the from the Shaw Brothers movies because King Hu was someone that had a lot of uh, focus on historical details. What kind of swords are they using during that? For example, the Ming Dynasty, what kind of costumes? And he would take these very nice wide shots of natural environments, whereas like in in uh, Shaw Brothers movies, like probably 95% of the movie was shot inside the studio. And you, you could clearly see that. I mean, you could see that everything was fake, mm -hmm. but he was still very fascinated by that kind of really very well set up, you know, props and everything. So I think... King who was probably I, I would say the the forefather for you know for most of what was coming afterwards that's just my fan opinion but um yeah he didn't do that many movies but the ones that he did like come drink with me dragon in a touch of zen the fate of lee khan often like set in these kind of inns mm. or kind of small closed environments and you had these like antagonists like facing off against each other first without words like they would have like long conversations and then this momentum yeah. building music behind and then all of a sudden you had a sword fight right but um he, he had a very unique shooting style i think that that yeah influenced a lot of people like Tsui hark and and liang for sure yeah or Zhang Yimou even. Mm -hmm. yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. i think all of these filmmakers have have been dramatically influenced by them um uh, you know i think it, it's, it's just a bit unfortunate that uh, until you know recent years one of the major issues outside the sort of the, the Hong Kong, Southeast Asia, East Asia area, there just wasn't a, a huge amount of distribution for a lot of their stuff, you know? Um, yeah. And so there's a question of access and that that's sort of part of the reason why I growing up did, had access to TV series that were being rebroadcast on TVB and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But where am I going to get access to these really old Kung Fu movies from the 60s and 70s, you know? Right. So Interesting. That, 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 yeah, yeah, so, so it pulls it back and sort of what we're talking about already about why I didn't watch a lot of the old stuff. I mean, aside from the dubbing issue, yeah. a lot of part of it was also maybe I didn't have a chance to get that level of exposure and, you know, uh, hopefully streaming uh, will be a uh, be a way around it if you can get sort of get yeah. all the worldwide rights issues and all that stuff sorted out interesting yeah so jp what, what do you think are some of the latest developments in terms of the wuxia genre that you observed so one sort of interesting development i've, I've seen uh sort of in, in china is that although um you know jing yong stuff and to a certain extent Gulong stuff although mostly jing yong stuff is still being remade on, on nasium um, there's actually not a lot of classic wuxia uh, TV series being made these days. Um, uh, there's a much more of the fantasy-oriented stuff. And okay. I had it explained to me like, like like this by someone in the industry. And she said, look, 
basically uh, the vast majority of these young actors, they can't perform martial arts the way, you know, <laughs> the old Jackie Chan or stuff like that, those people did, right? Right. Uh, th those those yeah. people, like, ooh, they, they, these were people who spent decades going through really grueling training for uh, for their craft. And yes, you don't absolutely. see that as much, nearly as much uh, these days, especially with the sort of the famous artists that they were relying on to pull in the audience. And so it's just easier to make more fantasy stuff because then they can just put it all in post-processing with CGI. Right. Instead of sort of doing, yeah, if you're gonna exactly. do wuxia stuff, yeah. your, your kung fu needs to be good, right? Right. But if yeah, you really make it more good. magical, really then it's good. okay for you to be throwing away fireballs. Yeah, that's yeah, what the genre yeah, is. Exactly. So, yeah, that, that's sort of <laughs> yeah. an interesting develop on, on on a TV series side, I would say. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because yeah, me, me and Edwin were also talking about like in, in another episode actually about it, like about talent supply. We mm -hmm. also feel that the talent supply is completely different. I mean, we are not trying to criticize the new kids on the block, but it, it is a matter of probably also societal changes, right? I mean, back in the day, these guys did did grow through like peaking opera and this kind of stuff. And that was yeah. like really like what you said, like gruesome. I mean, like from 5 a.m. to midnight, like oh doing God. all kinds of stuff. Like How many arts, bones uh, did, 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 Bruce, the, yeah. did Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee break in their lives? You know, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And also kind of uh, some like Chan Pei Pei were saying she has a background in dance. Yeah. So yeah, that also helps as well. Back in the day, a lot of the choreography was in fact based right on the uh, on the rhythm, and it in, in the early movies it, it really looked like a dance. Actually, it looked like you were watching Peking Opera, but on the screen. In fact, yeah, 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 totally, yeah. So that influences like the feel of them because in series series you didn't you didn't see that because those people obviously are more actors. They're not you know they don't have a dance background, they don't have yeah, a martial right. arts background. That's right. Whereas films you would, yeah. So yeah, yeah. But I think we we covered a lot of ground today. I think it's really great. I think we had a really good discussion. Um, and I think even yeah, we've kind of come absolutely. to a point where if you're going to watch, like, say, a wuxia of like the classic novelist, maybe you should start with Gulo instead of <laughs> it was a movie. Yeah. I, I, I think so. I don't know if you're going to watch yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. a movie. I think Gulong translates much better on yeah. the screen than than Jinul stuff. Yeah, than those yes. stuff. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Cool. So thanks for yeah. you joining us, JP. Yeah. yeah, it was a great discussion. Yeah. yeah. And Really enjoyed my time yeah, with you guys. Absolutely. Thank you. Cool. Cool. If you like some of the movies we talked about and are around Southeast Asia, be sure to check out Celestial Movies, CCM, and our other services via our website. Celestial Movies is Asia's leading premium Chinese movie service, bringing you exclusive and first-run movies throughout the year with the biggest Hong Kong and Chinese stars and the biggest blockbusters. While CCM brings you the most iconic films from the renowned Shaw Brothers studio, showcasing your mastered blockbusters from the golden age of Hong Kong cinema. Thank you for tuning in. For more information on this episode and other episodes, please visit our website at thewayintothedragon.com. You can follow us on social media by searching The Way Into the Dragon. And please rate, review, and follow our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Take care and catch you on the next one. The references to any products, services linked to third parties or other information by the speakers in this podcast does not constitute or imply its endorsement, sponsorship or recommendation by Celestial Tiger Entertainment. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Celestial.